Exodus chapter 17. While you're turning there, I just want to thank the Lord as well that um, had an opportunity to teach the College and Career Bible Study last night. I appreciate Alberto and Nalen uh, kind of spearheading that and hosting it most of the time and, and just overseeing that. And uh, it's a wonderful ministry, and I'm certainly not there all the time or even most of the time, but it's always a blessing when I get to be there, and I appreciate them studying the Word like they do. And um, they've been through Genesis, and we finished up the book of Exodus last night. And uh, some wonderful things there. So I thank the Lord for meeting with us last night. Let's look at Exodus 17 and read 1 through 7. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys, according to the commandment of the Lord, and pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses, and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? For the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go out before the people and take with thee of the elders of Israel and thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river, take it in thy hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come, out, come water out of it, and the people, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa. Actually, Massa means temptation, like the people tempted the Lord or tested him. Okay? That's what it says in other, other places. He called the name of the place Massa and Meribah. Meribah means strife. Okay, they were striving with Moses and striving with the Lord because of the ch chiding of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? So again, we see a contrast. Moses being just a man of flesh and blood like we are, but there's a contrast between his faith and then the result of that faith in his life and the unbelief of the Israelites as a whole. They had up moments, okay, where they sang praises to God and so forth, but they didn't walk in faith. And they didn't live in faith, they didn't die in faith. They died in unbelief. The Bible tells us that. Moses walked by faith. He wasn't perfect, but he walked by faith, he lived by faith, and he died in the faith. And here we, we see uh, another need. Last week, what did we talk about? We talked about the bread. We don't have anything to eat. Can God table furnish, uh, furnish a table in the wilderness? Basically, it was like a, a ridicule. Like God can take care of us out here, right? And they're, and they're looking around and they see nothing but barrenness. And yet God did. He sent quail down and they could just pick them up and cook them, roast them or whatever they did with them. And then He sent manna for 40 years. 40 years He furnished a table for them in the wilderness. Again, they should have trusted Him. I, sh I should trust the Lord and not doubt and murmur as well. Here's another huge. In fact, there could, maybe there's not a bigger uh, problem or need that needed to be met than right here. And it was at this place called Rephidim. So they, they journeyed from the wilderness where they were. Wilderness of sin is what it's called. To this place, Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. There just wasn't any there. 
God knew it all along. Okay, remember, sometimes the, the cloud or the presence of the Lord was leading them in a way that they would have never chosen for themselves. You know what I mean? They just would have, we need to dig some wells. We, there, it looks like there's a little vegetation here. Maybe there's some water here. And, and yet God was leading His people and He wanted to show Himself mighty. He wanted to reveal Himself and teach him, Himself to His people. And sooner or later, we're going to find, and we're, we're kind of putting ourselves in Moses' shoes, using him for a, such a wonderful example, okay? But sooner or later, we're going to find ourselves, whether we're trying to lead a church, whether we're trying to lead a ministry, where we're trying to lead our family in the things of God, uh, or, or a Bible study, or something where you're going to be leading other people, you're going to find yourself in a refidim. You're going to find yourself in a place where the people are almost ready to stone you. Maybe not literally, but you're going to find yourself at a place where there's a great need and you're like, what am I supposed to do? At some point in your life you will. If, if God puts you in a place of leadership or if you step out into a place of leadership, uh, you're going to come to a point like Moses did more than, more than one occasion where where we're at an end of ourselves and we have to turn to God. Okay? Moses learned this pattern. I will say this, that the character, now I know that you know this, but it's something to think about. The character of the man, in God's eyes, the character of the man or woman that he's dealing with and working with, in this case we'll talk about Moses, is as important, or I might even venture to say more important, than the work he's wanting to do. In other words, he's leading a group of people from slavery to a promised land, right? That's the work he's doing, setting the captives free and he's moving them to a promised land. But the character of the man is as important, it's at least as important, okay, as the work he's wanting to do. And so God is building character. He's building him. Christ is being formed in us. We talk about this a lot, but just remember that. So what happens when things turn 180 degrees on you. They wanted to stone him. Some thanks, right? Some thanks for the sacrifices he made stepping out of Pharaoh's house, remember? And stepping down and identifying with the people of God and laying his neck on the line and all the ways that God used him and interceding for the people and everything. Some thanks that he got. They accused him and God of being wicked. He just brought us out here to kill us. And they pretty near came close, you know, came to a point of stoning him. That's where it was. And God's working in the character of the man. What are you going to do? What am I going to do? Well, we got to do what Moses did. We have to do what Jesus did. Committed himself to him who judges righteously. We have to learn to call upon the Lord in every situation. At the same time, not hate the people that we're leading. The people that should be, of all the people that should, should have been most thankful for Moses. They should have been overly kind to him and appreciative of him. And yet they want, they're wanting to stone him. And this wouldn't be the first time or, or the last time. Okay? And, and so there's, that's the character. That is a work of God that, that does, God desires to do. And, and He has to do. And there are, there are lessons that can only be learned. We've talked about it. We'll talk about it more. Only can be learned at Rephidim. 
In other words, it can only be learned at a place where things are contrary, where things are not the way you want them to be. In the trial, in the adversity, that's the only place in the school of Christ that that can be learned for you. That you can learn it. Or I can learn it. If there was another way, God in His wisdom, there would be another way He would show us. But that's, that's the way. He says, I've chosen through the furnace of affliction to refine you. Okay? To refine the man, the character of Christ in that believer. And so what do we learn? There, there's some things that we learn. Um, and one of the first things that stands out to me is we learn the limit of our own ability at Rephidim. So let's just keep that. I know it's just a place. It was a place, but it was a place where there was no water and there's two million people roughly and their cattle. Okay? No water. And they, all of it's pointed at this one man, Moses. You did this. You brought us out here. You know, and, and everything's hinging on him. And as far as the people are concerned. And God used him as his intercessor, as his leader, as his mediator, as, as his go-between between God and men. And, but but think, one thing we quickly learn is the limit of our own ability. God wants to teach us that. That's a good thing when we learn it. We already have limits to our own ability. But God wants to show us what they are. And it's not nearly what we thought it was. We can't take nearly as much pain as we thought we could. We can't take nearly as much rejection as we thought we could. We can't take nearly as much poverty as we thought we could. We can't take nearly as much whatever. Lack of sleep. And we could go on and on as we thought we could. And God, But God knew it. He wants to show it to us because when He shows it to us, He wants to teach us to do what? What did Moses do? He didn't grumble and complain and pick up stones and want to throw back at him. He instantly turned to the Lord, what, what am I going to do, God? It's a genuine question, right? It's a genuine concern. The point is that he went to God. That's the whole point of it. He went to God. He was at the end of his rope. And I'll say this, that it's actually more dangerous when you think about it. It's actually more dangerous in our lives to have prolonged periods of success than it is to have times of adversity. It's more dangerous to us in, in many ways, I believe, when, when things are just keep going perfect and we're lifted up above other people and everything we touch turns to gold, so to speak, and we have no enemies and everything's just going wonderful. That is far more dangerous to the man or the woman or the person or the believer than uh, the, time, the, the valleys or the nighttime, or the, the refidims, okay? Because we can be tempted to uh, believe that we're the reason for the success. We're the reason the church is going so great. We're the reason that, you know, whatever. You know, we're the reason that everything's so wonderful. And it can happen. We wouldn't say the words, but we might think it in our heart. I'm the reason. I'm so clever. I'm so sharp. I know how to, to, to figure things out quicker than everybody else and know just what to do. I'm, a, I'm able to stay ahead of the curve. You know, I'm just, I'm just a little brighter, a little whatever. We get to thinking that of ourselves. And Nebuchadnezzar, now I know he wasn't a believer, but he said, is this not great Babylon that I've made? 
that I have built by the might of my power and the glory of my majesty. Wow. It was an incredible empire. There was nothing like it. One of the great empires of the world has ever known. But is this not great Babylon that I have built by the glory of my might and my power and majesty? And then while the words are in his mouth, the Bible says that the Lord took his mind from him, basically. And he went out and lost his kingdom and God drove him out for seven years to live like an animal in the field. And he ate grass like an ox. I could just picture people looking out there and there's old Bab uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, who just a day before had his sitting on his throne and whatever crown on his head and looking at his empire and had people bowing down to him. And the next day he's out there eating grass like an ox until he knew that the Most High ruled in the kingdoms of men. And God gave it to who He would. You understand what I'm saying? We need, and I know that's an unbeliever, but when we have prolonged periods of success, we can forget. We can forget where we came from. We can, get, we can forget what it was like to be hungry. We can forget what it was like to be uh, half out of our minds before Jesus came into our lives and helped us. You know what I'm saying? Or to not have a friend in the world. Literally, we forget that it's because of the Lord. And um, the heart of man can become inflated. It can be lifted up. And we can become self-confident. And when we're self-confident, God can't use us. It's just a fact. He's, he's not going to use us. When we're self-confident. And so God says He will not give His glory to another. It's not a maybe. It's not a question. It's, well, maybe He'll give it to some. He won't give His glory to another. His glory is His glory. And we're a partaker of His nature, but it's His nature. It's His glory. And we get to be, we get to walk with the Lord. We get to be used by God. And we also get to give Him the glory, publicly and privately. When nobody's around and just in our heart of hearts to give him the glory. Um, and so he, he says, no flesh shall glory in his presence. It says in Isaiah 10, 15, shall the axe, talking about an axe, a tool, shall the axe boast itself against him that heweth therewith? Shall the saw magnify itself against him that shakes it? As if the rod should shake, shake itself against, against them that lift it up? You know, is the axe going to be anything? It's just laced there. It's still, it was made by somebody. Then it's put to use in the hands of somebody who's skillfully using it to work. The axe can't boast itself against him that's made it and him that's doing the cutting or the chopping. All right? That's, that's what the Lord's saying here. And so, this is why so many of God's servants that once were used so greatly of the Lord... Honestly, they can fall out of disuse. God can go on. He still loves us. We're still His children. We're not necessarily dying and going to hell. But I can tell you what, if we're going to persist in, in thinking it's all about us and it's successful, whatever it is, a business, a ministry, a family, uh, whatever, it's, it's because of me, then God is not going to take that. He's going to deal with us about it. And He may bypass us and he'll find someone else that'll give him the glory. He still loves us. We can repent. That can be restored. But I can tell you what, that's why some people that were once used by God are no longer used. 
in such a mighty way. I want you to read this. It's worth reading. Turn your Bibles to 2 Chronicles in the Old Testament. 2 Chronicles 26. You know, when you go through the good kings and the bad kings, basically, this is a good king. Uzziah, overall, was a good king. But even the best of them, Hezekiah is one of my favorites, but even the best of them, they have something where it shows that they're not Jesus. So we don't put them up on a pedestal. As wonderful as they were, they had some notable sin, some notable failure, and a lot of times late in life, after God had used them so greatly. We know that of King David, right? After he had been used to slay Goliath and before he was even king. Then we see this, this failure. But let's look at this of King Uzziah. Uh, in Second Chronicles 26, let's read verses 15 and 16. And he made, this is Uzziah, and he made in Jerusalem engines invented by cunning men to be on the towers and upon the bulwarks to shoot arrows and great stones with also some kind of mechanical thing that was shooting stones and arrows. And maybe it was way ahead of its time. You know, cunning men built it. And maybe God gave them the wisdom to do this. And it was set up as a, on their walls of their city to defend them. All right? And his name spread far abroad. This is King Uzziah. For he was marvelously helped till he was strong. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. Isn't that interesting? That's the two good little verses there. He was marvelously what? Helped. Who helped him? God helped him. He was marvelously helped. God was just over the top helping this man do things that were way beyond the man in his wisdom and his strength and his ability to lead and in just helping him gloriously until he was strong. And when he got strong, it says his heart was lifted up. I don't, I don't think this means that he went necessarily that he went to hell or he forsook, forsook the Lord. We're just looking at this point in his, lo- his life. He was lifted up to his destruction. He transgressed, which means he sins against the Lord. Specifically what he did, he was lifted up thinking, I'm the man. I have the favor of God upon me. I have the blessing of God upon me. And he knew he was not a priest. Don't ever forget this. In Jesus is the king priest. He's not of the order of the Levitical priest. Jesus was a king priest. And as king priest, he can do everything a priest would do and more. And everything a king does. But Uzziah was a king and not a priest. It was not for kings ever. Not David. Not the best of them. To go into the temple okay, and to offer the incense. That was for the priest. The king can worship the Lord, be blessed by the Lord as Uzziah was, but he got lifted up and said, I, I can do this. And he goes in there and he, well, he couldn't do that. God didn't change his rule for him. He didn't change his law for him. And I just think it's a good example. You know, we're talking about Moses, all right, and prolonged periods of success can end up like Uzziah. Whereas the trials and the Rephidims, God says, I'd rather bring you to Rephidim and show you your heart and deal with you and keep you abased, so to speak, 
so that I can use you. Okay? And it's like a preacher that maybe uh, got caught up in pride or an evangelist. And looking back in years past, God used them so greatly to, to move people to Christ, move people to tears, move people to repentance uh, through the preaching of the gospel. They had a gift, a real gift from the Lord. And something's happened, they've gotten lifted up, and now they can still preach those same sermons, but nobody's moved by it. Emotions might be stirred by it, but the working of God is not what it should be. The dry bones aren't shaking and coming together, okay? Like in Ezekiel's day. Uh, somebody like, and I, and I know these people weren't believers, but it would be like the seven sons of Sceva, right? We adjure you in Jesus' name to the demon-possessed man to come out of him, and the demons did not go out. They, was, they said the right words, perhaps, but they didn't have the authority. And that can happen. Uh, but if anybody, Uzziah, or you or me, and it happens to my life, if we would only take a step back and humble ourselves before the Lord and consider uh, and search our hearts like the Bible tells us to do regularly, that's a pattern, searching your heart. God would show us. You got lifted up. So where am I going to go? Run from God? No, I'm going to go to God. Lord, I didn't realize it. I didn't see it. I covered it very well. I even hid it from myself that I'd gotten lifted up in myself. And God shows us. We have to draw back to Him in prayer. And that's where God can speak to us, okay? And so... Uh, Maybe Moses, we don't know that, but maybe Moses was in danger of this, a similar thing. Because honestly, he had had about two months of prolonged success from, the, from the, the plagues and so forth. But really, you could say from the Passover, when they really came out with the hand of God, to the, the Red Sea parting when he held out his staff, and to leading the people through on dry ground and the enemies being drowned behind him, manna from heaven, throwing a tree into the water and it healed the bitter waters. He had had prolonged success. And so maybe this was a time that God wanted to deal with him. I just want to read this. Beware that thou forget not the Lord when all that thou hast, hast is multiplied. Thou say in thine heart, my power and the might of my hand hath gotten me this wealth. The Lord says you beware. And watch out. Beware that thou forget. It's forgetting. Okay? It's forgetting. And again, that was an instruction in Deuteronomy before you know, they went to the promised land and so forth. But the Bible says that, that none of us really are free from that tendency or temptation to be lifted up, right? It's in the heart of man to be lifted up in ourselves, even if it's a false humility. A false humility is a pride. And so we can get lifted up in ourselves. And Paul said he gloried in the in the what? In the infirmity. He gloried in the infirmity. Much rather, he says, I would rather have this infirmity, infirmity in my flesh, that the Lord may be exalted through my life. Lest I should be exalted above measure because of the abundance of the revelation that was given to me. It was a spiritual thing. It was a good thing. God revealed things to His man Paul that He didn't reveal to others. And the temptation was, Paul, because I've done this, you're a human being too. 
and you can get lifted up in yourself. He didn't realize it, but God showed him, this is why I've given you a thorn in the flesh. When he realized it, he rejoiced and says, I'm going to glory in this infirmity because it's going to magnify the Lord and keep me where I should be in my own eyes. Amen? And so it's a perpetual reminder of, and I think we ought to thank the Lord for this, it's for perpetual reminders of our own infirmities, of our own weaknesses, and God, God has to keep us low enough to where He can use us. Does that make sense? He's got to keep us low enough to where He can use us. If we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, He will lift us up. But it's His doing. It's not me getting lifted up with pride in my heart. Okay? And, and same for you. The Bible says, You see your calling, brethren. Brethren, not many strong after the flesh, not many mighty, not many wise. It's the weak ones that the Lord has chosen to confound the mighty and the wise of this world. Right? We just got to keep that in mind. And so that is one of the big things that we can learn from Rephidim and this experience with Moses and the people wanting us to, uh, to stone him. And so he came to it to know the end of his own limits. And he had to call upon the Lord. The people did child with Moses and they wanted to stone him. They didn't have water to drink. And so he says, Lord, what shall I do? He came to an absolute end of himself. There was no wisdom of his own that could get him out of this. Y'all realize that? He couldn't run, okay? He couldn't escape from two million people. He was 80 years old, okay? Uh, he, he, there was, he couldn't figure out a way to get water. If it had been like a thirsty child and that was all that was needed, they could have scrounged up and found some way to take care of the child probably. But it's two million people. And we're in the middle of a wilderness. He just has to face the reality that this, this is beyond my limit. Okay? This is, this is beyond me. And so we reach an end of ourselves and He turns to the Lord. The Bible says He cried unto the Lord saying, what shall I do? We're talking about Moses. We're talking about the character of the man and what we can learn from that. And so honestly, that is a blessed position to be in. It might not look like it. You say, oh, what a fix. What a straight he's in. What a, he's between a rock and a hard place. You know, This is just the worst place to be. But if you and I are there in the will of God, that's a blessed place to be. Because he's about to do something. He's about to do something and he's about to reveal his glory maybe in a way that we never knew before personally to us and on our behalf. And He's going to come through as the great supplier of every need and the great shepherd of His sheep and the great father of His people, right? He's going to come through and show Himself strong. So it's a wonderful position when God brings us to an end of ourselves, we find our need with Him and in Him. And we cry, who is sufficient for these things? And the Bible tells us our sufficiency is of the Lord. Okay? Our sufficiency is of the Lord. We can know that in theory, or He can bring us to Rephidim and we know it. Because we experienced it. We actually experienced that with God. And by faith, we held on to His coattails. We cried to Him, turned to His face, turned to His hand and His heart, and He brought us through. And He will always bring us through. He'll never leave us. 
and never forsake us. So think about this. Is, it, is there any man in himself who is sufficient to make revival, like create revival? No, we can't do that, can we? There's nobody, we're not sufficient in ourselves to save a soul. We can't do that. We can bring the gospel. We can pray. And we can bring the gospel and pray to we're blue in the face and not one person gets saved. God gives the increase, right? Isn't that what the Bible tells us? He's the Savior of the world. You and I cannot convict one single heart of sin. We can't do it, right? We have the Word of God that we can bring, and we should bring it. We can't make someone contrite in heart where they humble themselves before God. We can't really comfort a heart. I've thought this many times. How many funerals have y'all been to in your lives? Older people, you've been to more than younger people. How many funerals have you been to as a Christian? How many people have you visited the day after or the day of somebody dear to them died? I've felt over the years and as a pastor very, very inadequate when I've gone and yet I go. And I'll tell them, and I'm praying as I'm driving or whatever, God, you're going to have to comfort them. There's not one thing I can say. There's not one thing I can do. Their heart is ripped out. But you're sending me there, and I can pray with them. I can tell them I'm praying for them, and I should. And I can give them a scripture that God puts on my heart, and I should. But you and I can do all of that, and they not be comforted. God has to comfort them. Can He comfort through your life and your prayer and your words and your hug and your help and your meal that you bring? Absolutely. But still, He has to comfort. So if, uh, we understand that. When, and I love this statement that the author of this book wrote. When we have reached the end of ourself, we have gotten to the beginning of God. We reach an end of ourself. Wisdom, talents, ability, sufficiency, cleverness, power, strength, might, whatever, leadership, ability. When we reach an end of ourselves, we've gotten to the beginning of God. And that's where He wants us to get. He wants us to get to that place. So we learn a lot about God when we're brought to Rephidim. Uh, in, and I'll just give you this for an example. You know when Jesus was with the, the multitudes and it was late in the day and they had tarried with them all day hearing him preach and they're in the desert place or some kind of barren place and it's late now it's supper time and the people have been out there all day and he asked his disciples where how are we going to provide food for all these people whence are we going to get food for all these people he didn't ask them that because he didn't know he asked them that like he asked Adam in the garden, where are you, Adam? He knew where Adam was. He wanted Adam to know where Adam was. You're in sin. You didn't hide from me yesterday, but you're hiding from me today because of what you've done. He wanted his disciples to answer him and to come and say, we don't know, we're not sufficient for this, but you know, Lord. That's what he wanted his disciples to say. That's where he wanted to get them to. And so... Where, where are we going to get food for all these people? And we can't send them away. It's too late in the day. And he brought them to a place because he wanted them to know their own inadequacy. But the one who can provide is right here with you. You see what I'm saying? 
I want you to know that you can't. I want you to know it. Face up to it, okay? But after he asked that question, how are we going to feed all these people? How are we going to give water to all these people, right? Uh, how, how are we going to do it? He's going to follow that up with, well, there's, there's Andrew, I think it was. There's a lad here, a little boy with a couple of fish and a couple of loaves of bread. The Lord will always say, bring him here to me. Bring what you have here to me. Because now we're learning something, right? I'm inadequate. Even as a believer, I personally am inadequate, and so are you. Well, what do you have? Maybe we have nothing. Maybe we have one fish and a loaf of bread. But you say, Here, here's what I have. Okay? God's calling a missionary to a mission field, and they got $10. But he's calling them, What do you have? I got $10 and a coat and a Bible pair of shoes, bring them to me. What do you have? I have a voice. I have a body. I have a, a mind. You see what? Bring it to me. And when, when it's turned over to him, then he takes it and blesses it and everybody was fed and had leftovers. He wants to teach us at Rephidim. That would be people that were hungry in a wilderness place in Jesus' day to teach that lesson to his, his people. Some of the people in the crowd may have got it. They probably wanted to be the ones crawling for his crucifixion a few days later. But he wanted his men to get it. Okay? He wanted Moses to get it. And Moses cried to, the, to him. So we begin to learn about the Lord. The Lord abases us, and then he shows himself mighty on behalf of them that believe him, and on behalf of them that turn everything over to him. He wants to get us to that place. Another thing we learned, just real quickly, and I don't have much more tonight, we learned the patience of God. You know, we need to learn patience. That goes without saying. All right? But we learn the patience of God that He is what? Long-suffering. He's a long-suffering God. You know, when the people wanted to stone Moses and they murmured and complained, at least on this occasion, there was not one rebuke from the Lord. Man, what? If I was God... I would let them have it. You're sitting there fat on the manna that I've given you and the quails that literally blew in from the east wind and are all around your camp. You saw me kill the Egyptian army in the Red Sea and you saw me part it. You saw all these things and now you're saying I wanted to bring you out here in the wilderness to kill you and your children and your cattle of thirst. That's what I would have done. Okay? But there was not one, one hint of impatience from the Lord. All the Lord did was say, uh, go out before me, Moses, and stand on this rock, and I'm going to meet you there. In other words, he immediately got to meeting the need. I know there's a need. Here's what we're going to do about it. Here's what I'm going to do about it. Here's how I want to use you in my plan to give water to all these people. And it wasn't just a one-time thing like the manna. It wasn't just a one-time thing. The rock, Jesus, we're told, and we'll read that at the end, followed them in the wilderness. Wherever there was that need for water, there was this, the provision of God of water from the rock. And so there wasn't a, a rebuke. And he said, the Bible says His mercy endures forever. He says, I will stand before thee upon the rock. That's verse 6, what we read in Horeb. And so, fear not, I'm with thee. 
Be not dismayed, I am thy God, none shall set thee on uh, to hurt thee, for I am with thee to deliver thee. Pass on before them, thou shalt take no harm, this shall be a sign that I am actually there upon the rock, it shall gush, gush with water springs. Okay, and I'm paraphrasing some of this. Basically, he was teaching his man, Moses, I'm going to be with you. And I want you to go stand on this rock. And he says, uh, fear not, I'm with you. I will stand before you. So isn't that encouraging to know? If he calls you to be a missionary to wherever, and he, or whatever, some uncharted waters for us, he says, I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to go before you. I'm not just going to tag along somewhere behind and catch up in a day or two. I'm going to go before you. I'm going to stand. You go stand on this rock at Horeb and I will manifest my presence right there before you. And that would be a great encouragement to Moses. The people, eh, they might not care at all. might not have meant anything to them. But to Moses, it meant everything. God's going to be with me. He's telling me in a, in, a, in a manifest way, he's going to manifest his presence there. I'll be with you. I'll go before you. I'll stand there on the rock. And, and uh, it was to encourage him, right? And to, uh, to encourage him because the people were wanting to stone him. That would bring him great comfort, right? Lord, I'm going back to whatever, to, to work or a family or... Uh, a church and, and everybody's turned on me or something and, and God says I'm going to be with you you just go do. I'm going to get there before you I'll be there and you just step out and do what I've called you to do on the mission field whatever it may be and so it's, it's as though he's saying don't fear and, and the Bible says that uh, he's not ever going to leave us or forsake us. There's no, probably no time in Moses' life where God was more real to him. You could pick other times, you know, but I can't think of any time where the Lord would have been more real to him than this moment where the people that he's leading want to stone him and everybody's about to die of thirst and God's about to gush water out of a rock in the middle of a desert. In the middle of a desert. Okay, this is what the Lord's going to do. And so the last thing, I'll just uh, bring this to a close. The, the next thing we learn at Rephidim, we learn an end of ourself. We learn uh, the, the patience of the Lord. Okay, he didn't rebuke Moses, didn't rebuke the people. He just took care of the need. And we also learn God's ability to provide or his storehouse. And we're just close with, with this. Thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it. Now, you have to admit that's strange. I mean, there's no precedent for that. There's no precedent for a lot of things that God does, okay? But you wouldn't have thought of that. I wouldn't have thought of that. It, it was in God's mind and heart, okay? In His brilliance and in His wisdom and His creativity power and everything to do this. Uh, you you smite, smite the rock and there shall come water out of it. And it seems like the most unlikely place for water to come. Right? Most unlikely place. But God can provide anywhere. God has storehouses anywhere. 
He rained manna from heaven. He, he, he has storehouses. And I just want to list some of these that we know in the Bible and just think about it. And then let's think of our own lives. Um, ravens brought food to Elijah in a drought. Talk about God providing in the most unlikely ways. His storehouses where the earth doesn't have any, and people don't have any means to provide. And it's it's supernatural work of God. Okay? Ravens brought food to Elijah. The prime minister of Egypt gave corn in Joseph's day when there was a drought. Cyrus, who was king of Persia, is the one that gave the decree, decree to let Israel go back and rebuild the city. Who would have thought that king, you know, of this country that basically years before had taken them captive, about 70 years before, he's going to give the decree to Israel to give their release, to go back and, and send letters with them so that nobody can stop them from doing what they're going to do, to rebuild the city and rebuild the temple. God has provisions in the most unlikely places. The Jordan River is what was used to heal Naaman the leper. It wasn't a clean, crystal clear river. It was the Jordan. And we go on and on. We, we read in Elisha's day that an iron, a piece of iron from an axe head, you know, fell in the water. And so Elisha throws a stick in the water and iron floated to the top and he reached down and picked it up. Did the provisions of God in the most unusual ways. It was a Samaritan that bound up the wounds of the, the, the Jewish man. They had no dealings with each other, but it was the Samaritan that bound up the wounds and took care of him and saved his life. Okay, It was Joseph of Arimathea, this rich man that, that allowed Jesus Christ, our Lord, to be buried in his tomb. God just provides in the most unusual ways. And so, I'm just going to close with this thought. There can't be any lack to the ones that fear the Lord. Okay, that fear, fear the Lord, that trust the Lord and have become familiar with God's provisions. Now, it's one thing if I just stepped out presumptuously, presumptuously on the Lord. Spent money I didn't have and I think God's just going to bail me out or something. You know what I mean? Or go, uh, don't put enough gas in my tank and I start driving through the Mojave Desert. And, it, and it's just, I knew it. But I said, oh, God's just going to provide. I'm talking about being the will of God. Knowing that we're stepping out at His bidding, at His command. There no, should be no fear to our hearts and lives. It can come, but we need to cast it down and let the Lord um, you know, strengthen our hearts with faith. Because He can provide in any way He chooses. And He has secret storehouses that we might not know of exactly, but we know the One who has them. And so we can trust in the Lord for that. Okay? For, for whatever it is, God can provide. So I want to close with this. So let's turn to 2 Corinthians 10, 2-4. So anyway, He smites the rock, the water comes out. But our study is not so much on, the, on that as on Moses. All right? So that's what we've been focusing on. The water came out. That rock followed them in the wilderness. I don't know that it was necessarily a rock, like I said, dragging along in the sand behind them. But wherever there was a need, Christ was there. And when, when, when they spoke the rock, 
the water came out, no matter where they traveled during that 40-year period. 1 Corinthians 10, 2-4. Well, let's back up to verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers, he's speaking about Israel, were under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So it's not me. You know, we're not stretching the truth. We're not just saying, uh, this is what a lot of people think, and it sounds good to me. You know, there's a scripture right here that says, they drank from that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Jesus. And God is a perfect example of Jesus. And we're closing that. He was the rock smitten. That's how the water came out, right? Christ was smitten for us on the cross and for our sins. There's some good analogies there. And, and he, he gives the living waters and so forth, like He told the woman at the well. And I just thank the Lord for it. But I just want to uh, close with, with that thought of Jesus being that provider. Every one of us is going to end up at a Rephidim. You might be there now. If, you, if you're going to step out and be used by God, he's going, to, he's going to lead us into places that we would not have led ourselves. And it is all in His master plan, okay, to work in us that faith in Him, to cry to Him, to understand His, his provision, His storehouses, manna in the wilderness, water in the wilderness. It all comes from Him. And He wants us to know that. When we come to an end of ourselves, then we've reached the beginning of God where he, can, where he can begin. So Father, we just come before You. And Lord, I want to put myself at the top of the list, but I pray for all of us here tonight that You would bring us to an end of ourselves, that we may reach the beginning of God and what You can do. For Your glory, that we would see Your glory and Your power in the earth. That we would see Your glory and power through our lives. That we would see Your miraculous provisions on behalf of Your people through our lives, God. Keep us humble. Help us not get lifted up like Jehoshaphat. He was helped marvelously until he became strong. And when he was strong, his heart was lifted up with pride to his own destruction. Lord, we don't want to be that. We don't want to think our own hand has gotten us all this blessing because I'm so clever. I have a better job than everyone else and I make more money. And it's because of my own hard work or whatever it may be. It's only because of the grace of God that I am what I am. And Lord, we thank You like Paul. We want to glory in the infirmities or bring us to a place where we will glory in the infirmities because we understand what the infirmity is for. It's to keep us dependent upon God is to keep us humble and little in our own sight and that You might be magnified, that Your power would rest upon us. It's going to be one or the other. It's going to be our power trying to do things in life and even for God or it's going to be us at the end of ourselves with no power and the Lord being our strength and our power. Your power working in and through us and on our behalf. We ask that You would help us, Lord, in Jesus' name.